For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Paul John Spaulding, here with Steve Morgan, the editor-in-chief of Cybercrime Magazine. According to Fox News, cybersecurity experts have warned that 2023 could be a new era of cyber attacks, and they are expected to rise quickly this year. Steve, can you put this in perspective? What have we seen the last few years, and what are we seeing now when it comes to cybercrime? Cybercrime is the fastest-growing type of crime in the world, Paul. We're cited in this article from Fox speaking to the annual cost of cybercrime. We estimate it to be around $8 trillion this year. If it was measured as an economy, that would be the world's third largest country. So sometimes, Paul, I think numbers put things in perspective and, you know, they're writing a piece here to try to convey the magnitude of the problem. And unfortunately, a lot of people still don't have their eyes open to this. Something I wanted to talk about specifically is ransomware, because we talk about that a lot between me and you when we cover some news articles. We also talk about that a lot in our other podcasts, both some that you host, as well as others that are just in our podcast ecosystem here. It's huge. When ransomware comes to mind for you, what do you think about in terms of the threat of ransomware? You know, I'm glad you bring that up, Paul, because the big misnomer is that the cost of paying a ransom is the big threat. And frankly, the cost of paying ransoms has actually gone down. So it's not just your out-of-pocket expense, if you will, to pay a criminal. There's been a lot of awareness around that, and organizations understand, okay, you know, it makes sense. If we don't pay them, they're not motivated, they're less likely to attack. Unfortunately, things haven't completely played out that way, and the attacks have continued to rise. But the greatest cost is recovering from a ransomware attack. Having all of your data, having an incident response plan to restore the data, reclaim your systems, there's a lot of reputational harm. The costs go on and on. So there's just a lot of expense involved with that crime, unfortunately. Steve, the Fox News article was really good and it was really comprehensive, but I do feel like we cater to a bit more of a niche audience when it comes to people in the C-suite, CISOs and CEOs. We talk to businesses of all sizes as well. And one thing I wanted to focus in on is there is ransomware, which we did just cover. But I also wanted to ask you, are there other things that come to mind as really big deals when it comes to maybe if you're speaking to some of the listeners right now and they're the CISO at a company, what other cybercrime issues do you feel like are out there that deserve attention? Because again, we've talked about ransomware a lot, but are there any other top issues? You know, I'd like to address companies, Paul, who don't have a CISO, because frankly, I feel that's where the biggest threat is. Every Fortune 500 Global 2000 company at this point has a CISO. Every mid-market company, if they don't have a CISO, they at least have an IT leader and they have resources. Where you run into a huge problem is you move downstream and you have companies who just don't understand how to protect themselves. And really, this mentality prevails of either it's not going to happen to us or if it does happen, we'll figure it out because the you know cost, expense, time, complexity of dealing with something like this when frankly we're not under attack right now is just too much and companies put it off. And then you know they do deal with it when they get hit. Steve, something I was thinking about when I read this Fox article was we can talk about the supply chain a lot because that's a huge issue, particularly now with a lot of global cybercrime. We could think about the war in Russia and Ukraine. We can also think about how COVID-19 a few years back when that first hit, how that really devastated a lot of the global operations. And then cybercrime on top of that, it was almost like a blow from both sides. And I was wondering maybe if you could talk about that because a supply chain attack coming at a bad time in the time of a pandemic is bad, but also 
coming at any time is bad because the cyber attacks seem to not stop. We cover this news every day. So I'm just curious about your thoughts. I'm glad you bring that up, Paul, because a lot of small companies don't think about, they don't even understand, you know, what exactly is a supply chain and especially in the context of cyber. So just to simplify for everybody who's out there listening, we had a situation earlier this year where universities across our country were using a third-party app. They were using this app for student records and registration and tuition and so on and so forth. And a third party who developed that app and licensed it to universities was hit by a ransomware attack. And subsequently, more than dozens, I'm sure I would think now it probably numbers into hundreds of universities were affected by this. So the supply chain is an external supplier, an external partner, somebody outside of your organization who's digitally connected to you. And that would be one example. You think about small businesses and they're heavily dependent, especially now everything's moving to the cloud. Every app you use is part of your supply chain and how you communicate with customers and buy and sell goods. And a lot of companies will partner, of course, with other companies to help them do business. They have to. Not every company is a huge company with 100,000 employees, and they can divide it up into different sectors of the company to do every part of the business. Absolutely. In fact, I remember, Paul, you and I were out at Adelphi University here on Long Island a couple of years ago, and we were presenting to small businesses. There was a panel of speakers, and somebody stood up and said, hey, here's a great way to save a lot of money. There's free apps out there that every one of you small businesses could be using for sales and marketing and PR, and it went down the list. And he, you know, was coming from the right place wanting to help people, but he didn't realize that a lot of these apps are developed by you know, one and two person organizations and they're vulnerable for a lot of different reasons. And it's probably the last thing you want a small business to do. But these small businesses were eager and excited because they don't know any better. And they heard that and they were ready to, you know, just start downloading anything. Something I think about that intersects a little bit more with consumers as well as businesses are QR codes. And this is something the Fox article we keep referring to had in there as well. And I wanted to highlight this as a concern because for me, I know we live on Long Island. Steve, this is where our HQ is on Long Island in Northport for anyone curious who, or who may have not known that before. But any small town you go to around here, you go to park and there's a little QR code sticker on one of the parking meters or at a little pay station and you could pay via QR code. Now I know how to generate a QR code. I'm sure you do as well, Steve. You could go around with stickers of your own, slap them over top, and it all of a sudden leads you to a different URL. So that's just my example of how someone could hack me with a QR code. I'm sure others maybe feel the same way, but maybe Steve, you could just talk a little bit about QR codes. Is it something we should be worried about? Is it really something that malicious or maybe not? This has exploded to the point where cybersecurity professionals coined a new phrase. I don't know if this was in the past year or two, Krishing, K-R-I-S-H-I-N-G, a play on phishing. But that's how bad it is that they had to give it a name to try to raise visibility. So you think about the number of phishing emails we get. Well, anytime you see anything having to do with a QR code, and there are restaurants, all sorts of event venues now that you know are typically sending these out, you have to pay very, very careful attention as to where is this coming from, the URL for that QR code, and is it from a legitimate company? You need to pay very careful attention to the company name.com. Is it spelled right? And the list goes on. So the same concerns we've had with phishing for the past decade are now starting to you know, raise their head in the form of QR codes. And I think mentally it's a bit of a trip as well because you're like, yeah, this is not some URL. Oh, wait, no, it is. It's a picture you're taking, your phone is scanning to then send you to a URL. You might not be typing something in or clicking on a link per se, although in some cases you might be. But I even see it on TV ads. They have little QR codes in the bottom corner. 
And you know what, Paul, what we're all at risk for, it almost happened to me this weekend. Now, this was a PayPal phishing scam, but you know we can really suffer from alert fatigue. I received a PayPal notification, and I say a PayPal notification, even though it wasn't one, right? Because it looked that legitimate, and I'm, you know, a trained expert, you know, so to speak. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm here, you know, trying to help other people and warn them. But this was a particularly legitimate-looking alert. I did not click on it, but I almost did. It's getting pretty scary. Just now. because you get tired, you get worn down. It's the weekend. I don't want to think about this. I'm doing other things. And with QR codes, it's the same thing. You know, they expect that, you know, people at one point are going to click after they receive enough of these. Yeah. The first one might not hit, but down the line, yeah, of course. Steve, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Paul. To follow all of our media, go to cybercrimemagazine.com. 